a little bit of the way we used to do Wednesday nights, where we just kind of got a chance to really dig into this stuff and chew on this. Now, if you can look at your sheets back there, we left just some space there, and I just kind of put some verses and some little references there, so that way you guys can kind of more fill in the notes as you want to when it goes through this, because we're going to talk about each of the 12 tribes, the prophecies concerning them, and what it means and what it represents. So the first part of this lesson is going to be the prophecy side of it. We're going to finish... As we get into Genesis 50, we're going to really finish with some practical application of Joseph's life as we finish our study here in Genesis. So, with that being said, let's pray one more time. Let's get started. Lord, as always, you teach, we listen. Let your spirit guide and direct. Be with all the sickness going on. Just pray your hand of health to be upon all, all struggling here, Lord, in your name. Amen. Now, the 12 tribes listed here in Genesis 49 are not listed in birth order. They start out that way. We have Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, but then it changes of Zebulon, Ishakar. So this is not in birth order, and it's really not in order of blessing. He kind of does this in a unique kind of way. He kind of puts some of the kids together that were with the same mom, etc. But these are the 12 that he wanted to lay out. And these are the blessings that he's going to give and the prophecies concerning them. So Genesis 49, verse 1, it says, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together, that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. So where each one of the tribes is going to get a little bit of a tidbit of what's going to happen to them and what's going to go on. Verse 2, Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellence, ex, I can't say that word, excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, you shall not excel, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he went up to my couch. Now, Reuben should have got the blessing. That's the way the system worked. Firstborn gets it. But as we mentioned last week, God has a tendency to kind of do things his own way. If you weren't with us last week, as God was blessing Manasseh and Ephraim, Joseph's two sons, God decided to bless the younger more than the older. And we went through the whole list in the Bible of how many times God blessed the younger over the older. And we talked about how in Isaiah 55, it makes it very clear, God says, my ways are not your ways. Reuben should have got the blessing. Reuben should have been the one that we would say that the Messiah is the lion from the tribe of Reuben. It doesn't even flow. It doesn't make sense. Reuben lost this opportunity. Why? Verse 4, unstable as water, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. And I put the reference there in verse 4, Genesis 35, 22. Reuben went and slept with one of his father's concubines. And what happened is, look at verse 3. He is the might, the beginning the excellency of dignity, the excellency of power. Verse 3, great start. But verse 4, unstable as water, you shall not excel. Do you realize how often you see that in the church? You see somebody with a heart for maybe teaching or a heart for worship or a heart for service, but they're unstable as water. There is no foundation in their walk in relationship with the Lord. They keep making choices that do not line up biblically. And you see all the potential that could be there, but they never work at it. They never use it. And that phrase, I keep going back to that verse 4, unstable as water. The firstborn, more is expected, more is asked for. Reuben, it can't be that type of guy. He was unstable. He lost the blessing. And Reuben really does not play too much of a powerful role in the 12 tribes of Israel from his point forward. He really just doesn't. Next one, Simeon and Levi. Verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and their self-will they hamstrung an ox. 
Cursed be their anger for his fierce and their wrath for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. It's kind of interesting. Simeon and Levi are mentioned a lot together in the Bible. When they're especially the boys growing up. They're mentioned a lot. And generally when they're together, it's not good. It's not good in any way whatsoever. As you guys know, we have five boys at home. And Kenan and Layden are my Simeon and Levi. They're not killing people. Don't worry about that. But if they're together, it just usually doesn't go good. We can usually put Kenan with Judah and Elias with Layden. That's a good combination. <laughs> Kenan and Layden together, boy, sometimes it's wonderful, and other times you just wait for everything to completely, utterly fall apart. Simeon and Levi, they're kind of rough guys. If you're taking notes, write down this verse right here. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's James 1, 19 and 20. Listen to this verse one more time. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If we're going in order, well, Simeon and Levi should have got a chance to get the blessing. But they were people full of such anger. Look at verse 5. Instruments of cruelty. I put down Genesis 34. Remember in Genesis 34, that's when their sister Dinah was raped. And Simeon and Levi went and circumcised the whole town that was involved in that. And they came back a few days later and killed every man. Instruments of cruelty. What it sounds like here in verse uh, 6, and in their self-will, they hamstrung an ox. It seems like in the original Hebrew that they just wanted to kind of torture the animal a little bit. I mean, think about an ox. The ox, it uses its legs for power, for pushing. You go out there and you cut that hamstring, it's, it's no longer any good. These guys are just guys that seem to be cruel to be cruel. So what happens to them? Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. I'm just telling you right now. And it's generally men, not women. I don't mean that to be sexist. But generally men deal with this anger problem. And as men, we deal with this anger problem and we almost look at it as some type of genetic trait. My dad had a temper, so I had a temper. No, you have a temper because you choose to handle situations inappropriately. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. For some reason, we think as men that our anger shows our toughness and our power, etc., Verse 7, cursed be that anger. Cursed be that anger. I don't know if I've ever said in my life saying, well, I'm really glad I'm friends with that guy because he gets so angry so quickly. No. No. Anger drives relationships apart. It creates rifts. It causes problems. Cursed be their anger for it is fierce and their wrath for it is cruel. I tell you, when you run into a man that just has a temper and an anger and he doesn't care who knows about it, or maybe he just does it behind closed doors with his family, verse 7, cursed be that man. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. That's exactly what happened. If you look at your notes there, Simeon, when they went into the wilderness, Simeon was third in population. Wandered for 35 years, and guess what? Simeon is now 12th in population. He went from third to 12th, scattered. What about Levi? Levi was scattered because, remember, Levi had no inheritance in the land. So they were scattered all over too. So that prophecy became true. Scattered throughout Israel, scattered throughout the land. So now we're to Judah. Well, we know what happens to Judah. Judah gets the blessing, verse 8. Judah, you are he whom your brother shall praise. Remember, his name means praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? He has that lion. And if you remember, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Verse 10. 
The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh means peace. Shiloh in the Bible is a picture of Christ, verse 10. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he shall wash his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Verse 11 is an interesting verse. Some people believe that Judah was the one that his blood, through his blood being shed, things would happen. Maybe it's a picture towards the Messiah there. Verse 12, his eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. You see the blessing that Judah got. Now, here's the thing about Judah. Let's talk about Judah for a second. Reuben's out. He's off sleeping with his dad's concubines. Simeon and Levi are out. They're out killing people. Well, Judah, what did he do? Well, Judah decided to have relations with a prostitute on the way. Remember that in Genesis 38. And he was also the one to try to cover it up. Judah's also the one that had the great idea about Joseph saying, hey, instead of killing him, let's sell him for money. Now, you can maybe make the case that Judah was trying to save him, but the Bible never hints that. Judah, though, and you can look at the references here, 43.3 and 44.16. Judah's the one, though, when everything started to fall apart and Joseph was pretending to be angry at him, Judah was the one that stepped up and said, let me take Benjamin's place. Let me be the one that takes the punishment. What you see in Judah is redemption. What a beautiful picture of Christ. That no matter how much we mess up, no matter how much we screw up, there is that opportunity and that chance of redemption. That things were bad, but yet we can get it made right in the Lord. So when we look at Judah here in verses 8 through 11, we see this guy that really did not have a great start, but ended strong. And it's a wonderful picture of redemption and a wonderful picture of what happens when grace comes around. A great picture of Jesus. And that's why Jesus is the lion from the tribe of Judah. Jesus came from the lineage of Judah. That's why Judah is the one that gets to carry the blessing of the Messiah. He's the one that carries the blessing of the government. David was obviously from the tribe of Judah. Judah plays a very prominent role. Reuben's out. He's unstable. Simeon and Levi are out. They're angry, fierce, and cruel. Judah, though, is redemption. What a beautiful picture there. So those are the first four. Any quick questions, comments about the first four here? Ryan. Uh, yeah, in uh, verse 6, it says that there ain't really a school of man. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, in verse 6 there? Yeah. Yeah, that is a little bit of a different translation. The newer translations have it talking about there, that idea of hamstringing an ox. Basically, what's talking about is just, what's the word I'm looking for? Purposeless destruction. You know, that's what these guys did. Simeon and Levi seem to be the type of guys that, I don't know, I keep thinking back to my boys. Simeon and Levi would be the brothers that, the one brother builds a beautiful tower, Simeon and Levi just goes and knocks it down because they think it's funny. Simeon and Levi would be the guy that the one guy gets on his hands and knees and pushes the other guy over the guy's back type thing. That's Simeon and Levi. And this is where the Lord says that anger, that fierce anger. And I really think they're a picture, and I kind of like what you were saying there about what the King James says, Ryan. That picture of just letting your emotions and your anger and your cruelty control you. I mean, look one more time at verse 7. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. Boy, what an awful thing to be around somebody that carries that type of temper or anger with them. Anybody else have anything here about the first four? All right, let's see what happens next. Zebulun, verse 12, excuse me, verse 13. Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall join Sidon. And that's exactly what happened. If you go look at a map and you look at where Zebulun's land was, it was situated between the Mediterranean and the Sea of Galilee. 
Verse 14, Ishakar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. Two burdens. He saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. Ishakar seems to be strong but lazy. Once again, you know, we look at Reuben. And Reuben, we talk about the man that has potential but is unstable. Ishakar is the man that has potential but is just too lazy to do anything about it. He's strong. Third in population. When they come out of the promise, excuse me, when they come out of the wilderness, third in population. But what happens to Ishakar is he goes into his area, and it's a great description here in verse 14. He kind of lies down, doesn't really do anything, and he gets taken over. And have you ever seen that person that once again has so much potential, but they don't do anything with it? They're not unstable like Reuben, but they just don't do anything. What a waste. I tell you, one thing that's really been on my heart lately is this phrase of Jesus where he says in Revelation, because you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's such a powerful statement. It's a powerful statement of basically saying, you have potential through the Holy Spirit to do so much for the Lord, to serve Him in so many ways. You're strong. You don't realize how strong you are, but there's this spiritual laziness. Verse 15, he saw that rest was good. Boy, our third son, Kenan, reminds me a little bit of Ishakar. The other day, he didn't get up till 10.30. 10.30. So it's like, are you feeling okay? Yeah, I'm feeling fine. Why didn't you get up? I just didn't want to. So I asked Dawn, because I said, don't we want to get him up? God bless Dawn. Dawn could be Ishakar. She'd sleep into 10.30 if she could, too. So he, he doesn't get up. He just likes that rest. And Kenan's the type of guy that, you know, we always do snack. We try to be in bed by 9. That's when we do our final prayer requests, our final things, in bed by 9. Kenan takes forever. So we start snack. Usually about 8.45, I tell the boys, go get your final snack, get your teeth brushed, get ready for bed. Here, we're going to do prayer requests, go to bed at 9. Kenan, I have to, and I'm not exaggerating, about 8 o'clock, 8.15, tell Kenan, get started. He just got his own little pace, and he's got so much potential But I tell you, I love him. I love his little personality, but he's verse 15. He sees that rest was good. Just be careful spiritually speaking. Because I think it's kind of interesting. Do a study on these different tribes. You're probably going to find out that you're one of them. Are you Reuben? Unstable? I mean, your walk is kind of all over the place. Are you Simeon and Levi? Your temper controls you? Maybe you're Judah. Started out bad, ended strong. What about Issachar? Strong but lazy. A lot of potential there, but just lazy. Next one, Dan. Verse 16, Dan shall judge his people. As one of the tribes of Israel, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels, so that its rider shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. Dan is the problem tribe. Verse 16, he shall judge his people. It's exactly what happened. Samson came from the tribe of Dan. But verse 17, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so its rider shall fall backwards. According to Judges 18.30, when you look at your notes there, the tribe of Dan is the tribe that brought idolatry into Israel. So Dan is the one that brings Israel down through its idolatry. And as we've mentioned here before, in Revelation, when God sends out the 144,000, the tribe of Dan is omitted. Most people believe the tribe of Dan is omitted because of them bringing idolatry into Israel. They are punished for that. Now, it doesn't last forever, 
Because in the book of Ezekiel, when God allots the land to the tribes of Israel during the millennial reign of Christ, Dan is the first one to get its allotment, which I believe shows a picture of grace. So Dan, they messed up. There's no doubt about that. They brought that uh, idolatry in. Samson, verse 16. I tell you, if you ever study out Samson, (sighs) Samson is a guy with a lot of potential, a lot of power, but a man of the flesh. You see this with Dan. A lot of potential, a lot of power, but the flesh gets the best of them. They bring in idolatry. Moving on here, verse 19. Gad, a troop, shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at lust. Gad is a fighter. If you study out Gad, David used a lot of the men of Gad for his army. David also had a lot of his commanders from the tribe of Gad. I I like Gad. Gad is one of those guys, I think, that, you know, sometimes, verse 9, it looks like they get beat down. A troop shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at last. You know, Gad's one of those guys, I think, that if he said, hey, I need to get this project done. Gad, can you get it done? He'll get it done. May not be pretty. Maybe a bit messy. But Gad's going to get it done. That's what you see with him. Asher. I tell you, Asher's an interesting one. Verse 20, bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. Now, and Asher is also mentioned in Deuteronomy 33, 24 through 25, when Moses is blessing the tribes of Israel. Asher just gets a great blessing. And I'm going to be honest, I studied this out. I looked up the references for Asher. I can't find the connection. There's something there where Asher, who is a relatively unknown tribe, is just blessed. And and I started thinking, Lord, what is this connection? And I started thinking, if I had to have a church, I'd want a lot of Ashers in that church. They're kind of quiet. You wouldn't know maybe exactly what they do. They just work behind the scenes. You know, we say out here all the time, there's somebody that makes sure the bills get paid. There's somebody that makes sure the lights get shut off and the doors get shut and the heat gets turned off. There's somebody that makes sure the church gets cleaned. There's somebody in the winter that's going to make sure that the snow gets pushed off and the uh, salt gets thrown down. There's so many things going on. And just as we're right now, in here meeting, you may not have kids involved in the back, but there's somebody watching the nursery. There's somebody watching CBC. There's somebody watching the toddlers. And they may not get a lot of credit. They're the ashers. They're just blessed. And they're just good. And they're just a blessing. And I think, Lord, thank you for that. What a blessing that is. So going back here real quick, we'll take a quick break. We have Issachar, strong but lazy. We have Dan, who brought idolatry in. We have Gad, a fighter. We have Asher, who's just kind of quiet and blessed. We've got three tribes left. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about any of these here before we move on? All right, move on then. Naphtali. Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. You know, I think the reference to this is Barak is from the tribe of Naphtali in Judges 5. And if you read in Judges 5, he uh, uh, created this beautiful song. So maybe that's something that goes with it. Some people also believe Naphtali, there's a reference, we mentioned this on Sunday in Isaiah 9 and also in Matthew chapter 4, about Jesus ministering in that area. Maybe that's the beautiful words of the Lord. Verse 22, big one, Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. But his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong. By the hands of the mighty God of Jacob, for there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, and by the Almighty who will bless you, with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors. Up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, they shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. Did you catch here, verse 25? 
Almighty will bless you with the blessings of heavens, blessings of the deep, blessings of the breast, blessings of your father. Joseph's blessed. Now we're going to come back to Joseph. So just keep, remember that, but we're going to come back to Joseph there. Last one, Benjamin. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. Benjamin's an ornery guy. Benjamin, Saul came from the tribe of Benjamin. Paul came from the tribe of Benjamin. In Judges 20, Benjamin is getting so out of hand that the other 11 tribes join up together to fight Benjamin, to put them under control. And Benjamin is outnumbered. They're all the uh, stats are in there. I think Benjamin had 26,000 men, and the other tribes had like 400,000 men or something. And Benjamin fought those guys strong. Benjamin is exactly what it says there, a ravenous wolf. Look at the people from Benjamin again. Saul. Saul was a tough guy. Paul. Paul was a tough guy. Ravenous wolves there. Now, like I said, we're going to come back to uh, Joseph here in a second, but let's finish this up. Verse 28. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father spoke to them. And he blessed them, and he blessed each one according to his own blessing. Then he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave which is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. So you will remember that back from Genesis 23. 31, therefore they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife, and there I buried Leah. It's very interesting to note, I just want to throw this out here, is Leah is buried with Jacob. If you remember correctly, when we talked about Leah chapters ago, Leah was the forgotten, unwanted wife. She was not the one. It was Rachel that was his favorite. Who's the one he's buried with? Leah. Remember that, Leah. And we talked about how sometimes in life, it feels like you're the one pushed off, forgotten, ostracized, no one cares, no one likes. Jacob ends up being buried with Leah. That's who he is with then. It's a beautiful picture of sometimes we're pushed off to the side, but the Lord never leaves us nor forsakes us. Verse 32, the field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up under the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Now, stop right there. We're into the final chapter now of Genesis. What we know from this chapter is this. The brothers feel now that the dad is dead, that Joseph's going to extract his revenge. Now, we're going to get to that point in a little bit, but that's what's going on in their mind. One quick point, though, before we move on. Look at how all these things of their past comes up. Reuben, that happened with the whole thing with Billah? That came up. Simeon and Levi, that came up. You remember when we studied those out in Genesis 35 and Genesis 34? Jacob didn't do anything. And we kind of made that comment. Jacob doesn't really do anything at the time. Now, what do you think is going on through Reuben's mind and Simeon and Levi's mind? I mean, the whole family is gathered together here, and all of a sudden Jacob is saying, Hey, Reuben, you remember when you slept with my concubine? Yeah, I didn't forget that. You're unstable. You don't get anything. Hey, Simeon and Levi, you remember when you guys went and took that whole town out and you argued with me about that? Yeah, I didn't forget about that. You guys are instruments of cruelty. I can't use you. Now, I don't say this as some type of threat. I don't say this to make us nervous. God doesn't forget our sin. Now, He forgets our sin when we accept Christ as our Savior. But if we feel we got away with something, we don't. And I don't know how many times I say this to people. God will bring to light. He will bring to light the things done in darkness. And I don't know how many times as believers, 
We think we're hiding those things from our wife, our husband, our kids, our brothers, our sisters, and the Lord, or our friends, our family, or the church, or the pastor. And maybe we do a good job covering our tracks. But the Lord sees. The Lord knows. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, all those events happened decades earlier. God brought it to light and it was taken care of. Now, Joseph, everything he went through, now we get to talk about that. Verse 2. Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, so the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. Now, when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the households of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. In my grave which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there he shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up, bury your father, as he has made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of the house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house. Only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. So, kind of goes on here for a little bit. They talk about where they're going in verses 9, 10, 11, how the Canaanites see this, and they see the mourning there in verse 11. So they call this place the mourning of Egypt. So verse 12, the sons obey, they take him, and they take care of him. Now, verse 14, after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who went up with him to bury his father. This is where we get to our final points, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us, may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to them. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, before your father died, he commanded, saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you. Please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of God, of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, the problem is we've heard this story before. Put yourself in the position of Joseph. See, now go back to Genesis 49, and let's read about what it says here about Joseph. Joseph, verse 22. He's fruitful, so fruitful that the branches are running over the wall. Look at verse 23. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. Do you ever feel that way in life? you ever feel like when you're just walking down that people are taking shots at you? And it's like, this is just unfair. This person that you married that's supposed to love you unconditionally is just treating you awful. These children that you have raised are treating you awful. These people that you are supposed to be friends and family are treating you awful. And you just feel like you're getting shot left and right. I tell you, it would make one bitter. It would make one angry. And that's why Joseph is such an amazing picture. An amazing picture. Look at verse 19. Do not be afraid. This is Genesis 50, verse 19. Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? See, as Christians, we put ourselves in the place of God. And what do I mean by that? As Christians, we start reading people's hearts, minds, and intentions. I don't know how many times I've heard this. I know why they did that. No, you don't. You think you know. You assume you may know. And you may be right. But we don't know that. We don't know anything. And so we're in the place of God. So therefore, we cast judgment. We cast penalties upon people because they have mistreated me so much. They have shot at me just like they shot at Joseph. They've treated me harshly. I have the right to be bitter. 
Boy, what a sad thing is when you see somebody confess Christ who walks in bitterness because they can't forgive somebody even though they have been forgiven by Jesus completely. When I see a believer walk in unforgiveness and bitterness towards somebody, I stop and I think, have they really tasted Christ? Because if you have really tasted what Jesus has done in your life and you see how much he has freely forgiven us, how could I hold unforgiveness and bitterness towards other people? But I tell you, bitterness and unforgiveness is a powerful tool of the enemy. It truly, truly is. Joseph is an amazing example of saying, I can forgive and I can forget. Look one more time at verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me. There's no way around that. There are people that mean evil towards you. They, they want to hurt you. They want to bother you. They want to use words as weapons to tear you down. There's no doubt about that. But, verse 20, God meant it for good. Now, can you believe that? Can you believe when you're being attacked verbally? Can you believe that when you're being attacked emotionally, saying, Lord, that you're my strength, you're my shield? Verse 21, now, therefore, do not be afraid. Look at Joseph's heart. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. What a heart. That is an amazing heart, verse 22. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt. He and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machar, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up in Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Which actually takes us right into Exodus chapter 1. But we can't forget this picture of Joseph. I, I, and I've said this to you for the past, I don't know how many months. Just let's repeat everything that happened to Joseph. Sold as a slave by his brothers. Thrown into prison. Accused of rape for a crime he didn't commit. Left there in prison. But then God brought him out of that miraculously. And now he's second in charge of Egypt. And, and as we have mentioned so many times out here on these Wednesday nights, the man basically running Egypt is a convicted rapist who is a foreigner, a heathen Hebrew that Egypt hates. God was moving behind the scenes more than we could ever know. And, and, I, and I tell you this, if you're in a spot right now of life where you feel like you're Joseph, the archers are shooting at you, everything is falling apart, this is not what you signed up for, and this life is miserable... God is moving behind the scenes more than you can ever know or realize. Just because you don't see it now doesn't mean God is not moving puzzle pieces behind the scenes. Just like with Joseph, the Lord was doing things, preparing this. And if you remember, when we started our study in Joseph a long time ago, the two bookends of Joseph's verses of his life, the first one was out of Psalm, where it says that the Lord allowed these things to happen in Joseph's life to prepare his heart like iron, to toughen him up, and then the second bookend was what we just read right there, verse 20. You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph is an amazing person. Just because you're so used to the story and so comfortable with who Joseph is, never let that forget the amazing background story that we're dealing with. All right, before we close up here, does anybody have any final questions, comments here? Ryan.
Yeah. It's so amazing to me how when we read this, and I, and I still in my mind sometimes do this, we have a tendency to put all these people together. And we've talked about this before, you know, Abraham, Moses, David, etc. These people are separated by hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, from Joseph to Moses is what, 430 years here. So like Ryan says, we're still 1,800 years away from Jesus coming and being born yet. So we still got a lot of Old Testament left yet until we get to the New Testament there. Anybody else have anything here? Rose. Yes, I do. Hold on a second. I believe that's Psalm 115. Actually, it's Psalm 105, and it is... Um, Psalm 105, verse 18. Psalm 105, verse 18. And that, once again, is that passage where it says God allowed these things to happen here for Joseph's heart to be ironed, to become not hard in a bad way. I want to make sure you know that. Sometimes our hearts become hard and we're unloving, uncaring. This is hard, meaning preparing, toughened up for what God had in store for him. And I'm telling you right now, if you're going through a tough time, and maybe the Lord toughening you up for something later on, it's not fun. <laughs> just want to let you know that. Not fun. But just like Joseph, years down the road, when you say, Lord, okay, I see now why you did this, I can say God is good and does good. But at the moment, it is difficult. No doubt about that. Yeah, Kathy. Hmm? Yep, it says in Exodus, um, when they left, it purposely says they took the bones of Joseph with them. And... I can't find that reference right off the top of my head, but it does specifically mention they carry those bones with them where they go. They carry those bones with them for like 40 years. I don't know who was in charge of carrying the bones, but uh, the bones of Joseph make it out of Egypt and they get buried. So, yes. You would have. The reason the Levites got picked for the priesthood is when they came down off the mountain and they were having the big party with the calf. And that's where Aaron has that great line of, I threw the gold in and the calf just came out. Um, the Levites, Moses basically calls out to the people saying, who's going to come to my side? And the Levites are the only tribe that responds saying, Moses, we're with you. And Moses says, if you're with me, do you remember what he asked the Levites to do? Strap a sword on and start killing your brethren. The Levites went out and as a picture of God's wrath, took the sword and went and started killing all the partiers at the Golden Calf Party. That's how Levi got back in, if you will, and that's how Levi showed themselves to be servants, is when the tough time came and Moses says, I need a tribe to step up to help me, Levi was the tribe that stepped up to help them. So because of that, they showed their servanthood to help. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you, and this is probably something we shouldn't record, so maybe Zach, you want to stop. Um, I've been doing this for 15 years out here. Every now and then, I want a Simeon or Levi to say, listen, this is a tough one. I need somebody who can be a real big pain in the butt. Can you go take care of this for us? I mean, it's almost like a little mob movie. You need a hitman. And Levi was the hitman when it was needed to be done. At that time, Levi represented the judgment of God. It represented the law. And that's why Levi ended up becoming servants in the temple because their judgment at that time upon the children of Israel is really a picture of what the law is. It's a judgment on us to reveal sin. So yes, their, their harshness was actually used by God. And this is something I've seen out here in the years I've been a pastor. If someone comes in with a really rough personality, 
That personality can be softened in Christ. But the Lord also says, you know what? Your roughness, I can actually use that. I can use that. In the proper context, in the proper way, done in the love of Jesus, sometimes a little roughness isn't all that bad. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? Yeah, Ryan. Took the bones of Joseph. Exodus thirteen nineteen. There. All right. Anybody else? All right. That finishes our study in Genesis. We're going to take a couple weeks off. Don't forget the next two Wednesday night services, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, are both at six thirty. A little bit different time there.